0: Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage where we talk with the who's who on stage in dance, comedy and performing arts. Speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. Let's go. I am talking with two actors from In a Little Room. It's a play written by veteran screenwriter and playwright David Allen. He began writing this last year. And he's just turned 87, I hear. Wow. And he's also directed the piece. David has lived a life of epic proportions from Wartorn, Birmingham to university in Uganda building the iconic Red Shed Theatre, then to Sydney Nimrod and John Bell. And his plays have been produced internationally, with 20 years writing for TV and film as well. Wow. This play is set in the 1600s. The last years of Queen Elizabeth I's reign in 1593. Civil war and chaos threatens, so Lee ends need to be tied up. Double agent, spy and famous playwright Christopher Marlowe has been called to a lodging house in Deptford on the Thames to answer to his secret double dealings. Please welcome two actors from this production, David Hooley and Blair Cutting.
1: Thanks very much for having us. Thank you.
0: So we're set in 1593. Throw us right into the drama. Where are we? What's happening? What's the... Seen, uh, Blair. Yeah,
2: well it's the 30th of uh, 30th of October, 30th of <laughs> April, 1593, to be precise. Down at Deptford, just outside of London, near the docks, um, a meeting has been arranged between four gentlemen at a at a widow's establishment, a, a food and boarding house. All four of the gentlemen involved are members or participants in the Elizabethan espionage game, and one of them just happens to be leading playwright Christopher Marlowe.
0: And who is playing Christopher Marlowe?
1: I am, because uh, David. Yeah, so David. David is playing it. Yes. <laughs> David. Not Hulley. to be confused with David the writer. David the, David no. the actor.
0: <laughs> So, uh, what is your role? Take me into this. Is it you know? Are we talking in the kind of voice of the blank verse and the of the time that sort of style?
1: They, I mean, David has certainly woven in his own rhythms and his own patterns. It's not in um, sort of iambic pentameter as uh, as Marlowe sort of uh, wrote in himself. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not like we're trying to recreate uh, an Elizabethan drama, it is a modern piece of theater uh, with sort of more modern um, speech patterns. Um, but, yeah, but it's certainly, in terms of its visual aspect, we have tried to sort of uh, give, a, give a hint of the Elizabethan costumes and things like that. Um, it, it being a, a new piece, it's, you know, not... It hasn't got the, the, the financial sort of backing of a massive piece of, you know, like the STC or something like that, so we're sort of giving little hints of what it could possibly be.
0: Yeah, so what what is actually going on? There's a you know who it sounds a bit who done it.
1: Well, it's not really a who done it. It's it's I, I don't know how you'd
2: describe it. What would you, what would you sort of put it as? Espionage. No, nah, less a who done it than why they did it. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, No, no, you're fine. The, the, the historical facts are very clear. I mean, Marlowe met these three gentlemen at the establishment on the 30th of April, and one thing led to another, and there was a fight for whatever reason. And without giving away too much, let's just say that, Mr Marlowe, it doesn't emerge from the fight particularly well.
0: So who are you playing, Blair?
2: I, I'm i endeavouring to play Robert Pooley, who's um, one of the um, leading Well, for want of a better word, spies of the Elizabethan era.
0: Are these, so, I mean, we know Christopher Marlowe, but are they, is he, sorry for my ignorance, is he an actual character from the time?
2: Oh, yeah.
0: These are, this is an actual, yeah. Okay. Take me into the world a a little bit more. What's this fight? What kind of fight? Swords?
2: Uh, let's, no, not swords (laughs) less than knives. Yeah. Uh And more specifically, one knife. So historically, I mean, yeah. I can say it without giving away too much, can't I?
0: I think so. Pretty much,
2: yeah, yeah. We've got we've got history. We've got history books on our side. It's like it's it's. <laughs> the the official the coroner's official um, look into it uh, concluded that uh, the there'd been a lot of drinking throughout the course of the day. And that Marlowe had got, gotten a little bit feisty. There was an argument over who was going to pay the bill. So Christopher Marlowe grabbed one of the gentlemen's dagger and started to beat him around the head with it, with the handle. And the gentleman, um, in, his, in an attempt to make it stop, grabbed the said dagger and turned, turned it around. And Christopher Marlowe ends up with a gaping wound just above his right eye.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the interesting part about it, where the sort of play is coming from, and, and where David Allen, the the writer is coming from, is he is as as Blair said, he's you know he's got this real passion for the era, um, he's got this real passion for for uh, Elizabethan drama and Elizabethan history, and there's this moment in time where Marlowe gets killed and. Uh, it's fascinating for me personally coming into it and, and not knowing that Christopher Marlowe was involved in espionage. I mean, you start, you go, he's a playwright, and then you find out, oh no, actually, he was going into seminaries over in, in France to infiltrate Catholic, you know, uh, uh, sort of espionage, in in and of itself, the Catholic espionage coming over to the from France to the UK, um, and that's insane. And and, and he's uh, David's basically pulled this particular moment in time and just said well, what actually happened? You know, we have no idea, and history is never going to tell us because the only people who know are the four people that were in that room at that time. Um, And because there is this very, uh, I guess, the the secretive world of espionage, it it exists today, it existed back then, and they didn't want anyone to know that Christopher Marlowe was doing these things because it would reflect badly on on the British government and on, you know, the the conflict between Catholicism and Protestantism, Ah. Protestantism, sorry, um, yeah. Thank you, Achoo. Um But uh, yeah, so it's. I think it's this really interesting way of of just delving into a single moment in time and saying, "What if this was the option? What if this is the reality of of what happened?"
2: There's been dispute over the centuries, of course. I mean, he. he there's no dispute how it how the quarrel and the how the. Well, the meeting ended, but um, there's been a lot of speculation over the centuries about, well, what exactly went down in this room? And uh, David has mined the book of, book written by Charles Nickel in the early 90s called The Reckoning. And Mr. Nickel, let's just say he dug up a hell of a lot of evidence to support the fact that uh, not only was Marlowe involved in the espionage game, but so were the three gentlemen who shared the room with him on that day so it again without giving anything away because you've got to kind of come to see it to find out why they do it um but um it you know it's very clear that um let's just say all four of the gentlemen knew each other so it wasn't a chance meeting at all and again they were all very very intimately tied up with the the espionage network under elizabeth
0: so it wasn't over the who was going to pay for the drinking bill. The bill.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, spies get thirsty, I suppose, but um, and, oh, so- and, my, and, and generally a little tight with their cash. But yeah. Um, yeah, but one suspects, as I say, over the course of time, a lot of people have speculated that perhaps something else was happening in that room at that time.
0: So is it this mixture of religion and state, mm. and, and so what have you learned through? doing this play and through this sort of, I mean, you obviously know a bit about history, Blair.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I was, I've worked with David a couple of times now over the, mm-hmm. over the course of the journey, but um, I was invited to attend a reading for this one and I read it and uh, didn't have a choice after that. <laughs> it was a case of, <laughs> oh, I'd really, really, really like to do this, please. Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate enough to um, be offered the role of Pooley to work opposite the Great Hooley as Marlow. Um, but what I guess what I've learned, yeah, I, I, I do have a, a more than a basic understanding of the era. Um, I guess what I did learn from this play, I'd already read the book that David had had used to um, to find out his bibs and bobs, but um, just his take on history. Um, and David referred to this earlier as well. I mean, it's very much, you know, David's David Allen's era is the Elizabethan era. He describes the text as a Shakespearean pastiche. So again, just harking back to what Dave said earlier, um, the rhythms are there, not the iambic necessarily, but um, the language is very true to the period and to the era, as are the, the feelings, the emotions, and again, just the suggestion of costumes and sets and bibs and bobs. So I guess what I learned is that um, I'm possibly more at home in the 1590s than I am in the 2020s. <laughs> um, yeah, look, for, for me, it's interesting because I, I, you know,
1: Blair's very well read on this subject and is very knowledgeable mm. on this. I come very much from a, a, a more... I guess a more audience perspective in the fact that I I really had no clue. I, I knew very little about Marlowe before I, I came into this and doing a little bit of research on him and 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 finding out that there is so much more to the man. He's not just a writer and he's not just a brawler. Like it goes so much deeper and so much more complex. Uh, in, in 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 it's so much more complex his life and his work that you you start to you start to question the rest of the famous. Um, figures in history and you say to yourself well if if marlowe was a spy surely you know shakespeare was involved in i don't know some sort of business dealings with the royal family or who knows you know you you start questioning sort of everything and all the relationships around that time in that in that kind of level of society
0: Mm. indeed and just do you think his work like uh, espionage worked into his writing as a a writer for marlowe
2: yeah i don't i mean personally i don't think there's any doubt um Mm -hmm. It's, although, I mean, it's certainly the espionage element is there in his work, but the personal element very much too, although that's a completely subjective opinion. Uh, but I mean, one of his very last plays, if not his last play, was the massacre at Paris, which talks about the slaughter, of the, the massacre of um, the French Huguenots in the, uh, in the 1500s. So the French Protestants, for want of a better word. Um, and yeah. I mean, Marlowe's. I mean, everybody was a Catholic before Henry VIII had the bright idea to marry Anne Boleyn. Um, but um, so that you know, we're, in essence, all of the characters, certainly their ancestors or forebears, started off as Catholics. We're only talking about one or well, two generations, not even that. And of course, when Henry dies and after his son dies, Mary, Elizabeth I's half sister, comes to the throne. We go back from protestant to catholic under her reign she only lasts for a few years she manages to burn an awful lot of people but um and then elizabeth comes to the throne and we're back to protestants so everybody's confused and Marlowe's writings particularly things like the Mar- massacre at paris they reflect that confusion because the same thing was happening over europe as well um, the french had no problems at all and gather rounding up all the protestants as i say in the uh, mid 1500s and basically burning them alive and Killing them. So um, yeah, definite reflection of the times, not just in England, but across all of Europe, I think. So he's very much a writer of the time.
0: Okay. And so there um this sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a perfect setting because you don't have to, you know, you've got a bar room, I am imagining, and drinking and such fun to play, um, that progression of getting drunk. But, where, like, you you know, you've obviously got the history, the knowledge of what you can find or this, but where is the line between the, the fact and the fiction playing in this production?
1: Oh, God. Because um... you
0: don't have a lot of obviously facts <laughs> yeah yeah David.
1: Uh, look i mean I, I, I think the the structure of the play is the history um you know yeah. they okay. they're the known facts and there are references to the um uh, the, the the political you know um sort of facts of the day the different political mm. figures you know queen elizabeth uh, yeah queen elizabeth and um and the the sort of the heads of the espionage world but kind of mm. and then of course um, there are references to Marlowe's behavior and his actions uh, not just in his clandestine work but also in his his public work his plays and things like that and as, as Blair was saying about things like the massacre of Paris and what mm. those inferences are from a from a governmental perspective and propaganda and things like that and how you affect a culture through through art um, mm. but but really I mean the that's it, it's, it's the bones of it. And then the flesh is all the other fun stuff, the relationships that occurred between all the different characters, the relationships specifically between um, Blair and my, myself, uh, Marlowe and Pooley. And there's a because all these guys, as, as Blair said, they all knew each other. They'd all worked yeah. together. And there are relationships that some some people you like, some people you hate, some people you trust, mm-hmm. some people you don't. Um, and even within that trust you understand that because it's a clandestine world, because it is spies, you trust them to a point. And then beyond yeah. that you realize that they have their duty to the state, the duty to uh, religion, the duty to uh, the, the monarch. Um, and so you understand that if you step over a certain line and go beyond a certain bounds, that they have a responsibility within their own um, uh, position to come back at you and to hold you to account. And that works sort of all four ways between all four characters.
0: And how has it been working with David, the director, in the room? Uh, with so so much, obviously, so much. I was going to say history in the theatre on the stage, working with stage and and as a director. And what? How has that process been? Has it adapted over? the rehearsal period before coming to the stage and how how is the what's the working rehearsal room been like
2: oh no it's it's very much been a well a work in progress is is probably the best way to describe because Mm. um he's a working playwright apart from Mm. the director so um David will back me up on this one. We've had to deal with about five drafts of the script, but um, you know, but, but based on our work in rehearsal, as much as everything yeah. else, not just arbitrary decisions on behalf of the playwright. Let me make that perfectly clear. Hello, David Allen, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> love your work. Um, so yeah, it, it really has been, we've fed his work and he's fed ours. Um, so yeah. very much a collaboration in the nicest possible sense. And David has a wonderful way of communicating his passion in terms of the era, his passion specifically for language, his own language, and mm-hmm. his passion for making making sure that we understand what's going on, and also get the get everything right, right down to phrasing and the whole bit. So, yep, a terrific mm-hmm. process, lots of fun, very relaxed. Mm-hmm. I found over the course of the journey, mm-hmm. um, which is not not necessarily unusual but it's it's been a lovely ensemble piece right across the board with a lovely ensemble of performers and Mm -hmm. director and writer
0: so this scene we like this is probably where we should have started the scene is in a bar room of the time what are you drinking (laughs) and what what is the kind of dialogue that's going on is it about that you know what you've all just what you've just spoken about about the um religion or or conflict or the state of the times or is that more that kind of i don't know what is the kind of dialogue between the four in the room
2: oh no it's it's very much what you're suggesting um and um, to answer the first question though ale
0: and how do you play getting drunk?
2: <laughs> oh no no I'm 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 a moderate drinker at best, but you'd have to ask <laughs> Mr. Master Marlowe about that. Yeah, okay. look, I,
1: I I personally it's it's difficult to as an actor portray uh, drunkenness uh, without it becoming sloppy, um, yeah. because you want the sense of the scene to come over the top more than you want the drunkenness. So it's it's kind of the assumption of the audience. These people are drinking; they've been drinking all day. They are going to be wasted, and so decisions are going to be made that are poor.
2: Mm.
1: And so it, it's it's more an inference mm. rather than a, a slurring of speech and a stumbling around the stage. Um, also, for the fact that Marlowe was a, a quite a you know a famous drinker and a brawler, he would be well and truly used to his alcohol. And um, in these days, you know, drinking was. A, national sport uh so everyone was pretty much an alcoholic and would
2: have been out of function quite well i know the the best advice i ever received as a young performer was um in order to play drunk play sober (laughs) in other words working against it because the last thing a drunk wants to appear is drunk
0: true good advice so um apart from all of this historical you know investigation and the, the the Thing, I didn't know he was an espionage. I think of him as a playwright, like you say, David, knowing Christopher Muller. You said, one of you said, um, that art reflecting the culture of the times for then, how does this play therefore reflect our times now, hearing it, seeing it?
2: I've been doing a lot of extraneous reading because I found a, a lot of this you know, it it triggers off. And and incidentally, that's part of my process as well. Just I read my way into eras and places and things. Mm. But one thing I did stumble across, and I hadn't touched on his work for a lot of years, it's referred to by Charles Nicholl in the the Reckoning, the book that Mm -hmm. was published in the early 90s. He prefaces the book with a quote from John Le Carr, as in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah. And Lacar is on record as saying that espionage is the secret theatre of our society, which is something he said in the 70s or possibly the early 80s. So I had to think about that and I thought, well, it can't just be there for no reason at all. So I went back to some of Lacar. So I reread Tinker Taylor, looked at Smiley's ah. people, had another look at some of that.
0: Yeah.
2: I think, long story short, um, the oldest profession is prostitution, the second oldest profession is espionage nothing's changed Mm. nothing's changed and what what david's script beautifully gets to is there's this there's a seediness about these people there's a there's a sort of a disreputable quality about Mm. these people they are needy they don't have a lot of cash they do this stuff not necessarily because they enjoy it but because they don't really have much of a choice at all Mm -hmm. And Lacar's world is the same. if you go through that stuff, which is only, you know it's still our generation. The only gentleman only passed away last year, I think, did he not? But uh, regardless, he was writing all the way up to the end. It's a shabby world, The world his world of espionage. There are guys with patches on their coats and, and all the rest of that. They don't shave very often. They appear unwashed. And I think if, if anything else, what, that's that's the link. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Not since the 1590s, right through till now. Hell, one suspects nothing's changed much since the first spy and probably the the beginning of time until now. Yeah.
1: I, I think also. I mean, I think in terms of like a social side of things, uh, the debate between conflicting but very similar ideologies. Um, you know, at the moment we're seeing in society a discussion backwards and forwards between two different camps which are microchasms apart but at at the extremes of the conversation and very extreme things can be done in the sake for, for the sake of ideology um, and you know I, I think that When you you take it back to something like religion, it's something we can all look at and sort of, I mean, I guess I I say this with respect to religious people, but like us as performers and actors look at it and go, why are you fighting over which version of the Bible is correct? And some guy who was king decided to marry somebody and made his own religion. And it's, it's those simple things we can kind of catch on and to go, look how ludicrous the argument is that we can hopefully apply to today's conversations and say look how ludicrous it is. Can we not find a middle ground and find some peace and some and some connection between all of us because we're all having a pretty similar life. We just need to learn to understand each other.
0: Mm. Well, I will be watching the news and our politicians in a very different light <laughs> after this conversation. Yes. Tom um, Hanks
1: is actually a spy. <laughs> no, no, uh, he's not. No, no, <laughs> of course not. No, no, no. <laughs> Matt Damon, a, though. Oh, no, he's sorry. Oh, yeah, oh, <laughs> yes, yeah exactly. He's, uh, yeah. There we go.
0: Thank you so much for um, joining me uh, in this conversation today, Blair Cutting and David Hooley. It has been a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much. Wonderful Biddy. Thank you, Regina.
0: In a Little Room is playing only until this weekend with Sunday already being sold out. So jump on to try bookings and get along and see it it sounds like a ride uh it's playing at it's an ad hoc theater production written and directed by david allen and it's playing at the sydney acting studio in redfern that's 11 cope street in redfern the sydney acting studio in a little room